Thanks for tuning in to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring health leaders. Hey, I want to personally invite you to our first inaugural Healthcare Thinkathon. It's a conference at the Outcomes Rocket and the IU Center for Health Innovation and Implementation Sciences has teamed up on. We're going to put together silo-crushing practices just like we do here on the podcast, except it's going to be live. With inspiring keynotes and panelists to set the tone, we're conducting a meeting where you could be part of drafting the blueprint for the future of healthcare. That's right. You could be a founding member of this group of talented industry and practitioner leaders. Join me and 200 other inspiring health leaders for the first inaugural Healthcare Thinkathon. It's an event that you're not going to want to miss. And since there's only 200 tickets available, you're going to want to act soon. So how do you learn more? Just go to outcomesrocket.health/conference. For more details on how to attend, that's outcomesrocket.health/conference, and you'll be able to get all the info that you need on this amazing healthcare thinkathon. That's outcomesrocket.health/conference. Welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring health leaders. I have an amazing guest for you today. His name is Matthew Fenty. He's a director of innovation and strategic partnerships at St. Luke's University Health Network in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He brings passion and perspective to the dynamic intersection of health systems, life science, and technology with a focus to transform healthcare delivery models through an innovative use of technology, a systems-first approach to design thinking, and iterating on legacy business models. His perspective stems from a significant experience with healthcare and life sciences sectors spanning end-to-end healthcare delivery, including translational R&D, scientific informatics and analytics, due diligence, corporate development, product operations, strategic planning and execution, technical product management, and digital health technology and adoption. I had the pleasure of meeting Matthew at a healthcare meeting, and I was just blown away by his passion for healthcare. And I thought, man, I've got to have this guy on the podcast. And he was very generous with his time. So now I have the pleasure of welcoming Mr. Matthew Fenty to the podcast. So uh, Matthew, welcome. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, not not a physician. That was a path I was you know, contemplating early on, but uh, you know, I think more on the, on the technical side, kind of behind the scenes, is the way to go. <laughs> Matthew, you have a doctor in results in my eyes, and uh, <laughs> that's why I wanted to call you a doctor, you know. But it, definitely a pleasure to have you on here, Matthew. Is there anything that I missed in your intro that maybe you want to fill in? No, I think you covered it quite well. Just one other comment. So we are uh, actually based in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. It's about an hour north of Philly, but we do span this entire area. So, you know, one little, one little caveat. No, good clarification. Appreciate that. What got you into healthcare to begin with, Matthew? Yeah, sure. So, you know, healthcare has really been kind of a passion of mine, you know, going back to grade school, elementary, high school. I think a lot of the folks in your podcasts have always had that passion for healthcare, either kind of behind the scenes or frontline medicine. You know, that's always been like a, a big focus of mine. And, you know, yes. I kind of think about in my undergraduate days, very much focused on bench science, kind of more of the analytical behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, kind of your other, some of your other guests thinking about going into medicine, seeing what that takes and kind of taking a step back to say, you know, on the provider side, kind of boots on the ground isn't the right path, but there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of, I think, where I could use my skill set to kind of think about how do we improve operations and how do we improve the business and the kind of the nature of, of healthcare and medicine 
and care delivery. And that's kind of really my passion. So kind of what you alluded to, I've been in the translational R&D side, uh, wet lab, pharmaceutical operations, pharmaceutical strategy, and now on the provider side. And really, I think there's a lot of opportunity to you know, take those different perspectives and to think, how do we fix and how do we improve this entire beast of healthcare delivery and medicine within the country? Matthew, that's such a great summary and appreciate you sharing that meandering road that got you to where you are, but very focused in your case. What would you say today is a hot topic that needs to be on every medical leader's agenda and how are you guys addressing it? There's answers I can think of, you know, easily hot topic, you know, precision medicine, genomics, things like that. But really, I think one of our big focus and, you know, a big focus of mine is adoption and change management and kind of supporting our clinicians and our leaders for change that's happening, regardless of if it's new models of care delivery, new economic models of care delivery, ways that we engage with our patients in a remote or virtual setting. But it ultimately comes back and stems to how do we get people to adopt change and how do we get patients to think differently and, and help them manage their own healthcare? And how do we get our physicians and our clinical teams to redesign what they're doing and how they deliver medicine. And a lot of that goes back to change management, education, workflow change, engagement, buy-in, support. You know, these aren't healthcare types of issues. It's really, you know, there's a lot of change happening, some mandated externally through policy, but a lot of it is, you know, we need to prepare for how we go back to care delivery, how we go back to the human touch of medicine. And it's a big effort. And yeah, I think if we focus on those outcomes like precision medicine and genomics, et cetera, we always need to go back of how do we get this to work and how do we scale this within our health system? No, that's really interesting, Matthew. And what do you think is at the center of change management? How do you move the needle on that? Yeah, that's a trick. And it's really kind of a, it, it takes a team. You know, a lot of it goes back to organizational readiness and thinking about engagement of the people that you need to work with. And so it's, it's communicating, it's, it's understanding and translating why mm-hmm. change is happening. Think about you know, why successful EMR launches have been so successful. It isn't because of the technology. You know, you can look at and read in the news, you know, billion dollar, half, you know, $500 million failures or you know, very public right. you know, launches of EMRs. And you think about the ones, why things were successful and why things were not. And in my perspective, my point of view, a lot of it doesn't have to do with the technology or the systems, it has to do with engagement and buy-in and communication. And if you can get your frontline staff and you can get your physicians and your administration and patients all kind of thinking about why change is important and how it benefits them in a way that it makes sense, in a way that they can kind of pull it in themselves, then that's the only way that I think that you can really have successful adoption of new processes, new technologies, new ways of evidence-based medicine protocol delivery. It's being able to articulate why something is changing and why it, say, impacts me versus why it impacts you. That's a great call out, Matthew. And and you stressed at the beginning of, of the interview the importance of operational excellence. And, you know, the theme that keeps coming up is just communication, right? Communicating the relevance of this, the why, and then the how. And you'll get to that end result that you and your organization are looking for. I think, you know, we are, it's an industry that we're in that you don't go into lightly. And you're not, yeah. it's a very self-selective industry to be in healthcare. And we're all in this to really improve patients, 
know, I want to improve experience of when my mother goes into the hospital, that she has both the best care as well as the best experience. Yes. And that her care team and her physicians and her nurses and support staff, they feel part of the team and compassion and kind of the human touch is back into healthcare. It's not a machine. It's not an operation. It's not a process or checklist. Is that this is really how do we get people to go back to the, the practice of hand-touch, human-touch medicine? And, you know, we can do that with technology, but a lot of it has to do with educating and get people to really think about compassion and empathy. And it's a lot of work and it's a lot of things that we all want to do. And this is why we're in the industry. Yeah, it's a really great call. And, you know, a lot of people talk about, Matthew, like, hey, you know, why, why can't healthcare be more like hospitality? Like when you walk into a hotel, the frontline staff smiles at you and they receive you, they take care of you, their service. Like, why can't it be more similar? Like, what's the gap? Well, that's a million dollar question. I think who you ask is you're going to get wildly different answers. And you might ask a physician, say a trauma doc in the ED, his job isn't to make you smile. His job is <laughs> That's or, true. You know, their job. Her job <laughs> is to keep you from dying on the table. Amen. And so you can think yeah. about there is the inherent difference of a, of a pure service industry where at the luxury of that organization that they're getting that customer. With mm-hmm. here, you can think about the job and the goal, which isn't really highlighted as much as it should be is to treat patients who are, who are dying. Mm-hmm. It is to you know, find the best in care. It's to support patients at the end of their life. There's ways that you know, we are interacting and working with our patients and their families that isn't a hospitality type of relationship. Right. Now, with that said, we do need to be thinking about how do we put the human touch and how do we make it more empathetic? So when patients are calling us and they're concerned about their bill, they could be thinking, well, you know, maybe they lost their job. Or maybe their parents are dying or, you know, recently you know, passed away. Or maybe their kids, you know, just got diagnosed with, with something. And so it ends up being you have to put that and retrain staff and retrain kind of our, any frontline person to think about this is the most intimate point of a relationship that you have with your customer, with your patients, with their family. And they don't necessarily want to be working with you. When I go to, go to the doctor, that's one of the, the least happy things that I want to do in my day. Something's (laughs) wrong. I feel sick. My parents in the hospital, it is a high stress, high type of emotional environment. So we need to make sure that our people are ready and equipped to deal with our customers and our patients in a high emotional type of setting. And I think kind of going back to your point, it's not going to be a a pure hospitality type of mindset, but surely how do we put empathy back into healthcare for anyone who interacts with patients or their families or, you know, with anyone who's part of the care team. Yeah, that's a really important distinction, Matthew. And I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. Definitely not a place where you go to get a smile like you would at a hotel, right? If you're broken, they're going to fix you the bones or whatever, you know, your heart. So I think that's a very, very great distinction to make. But let's find the empathy. So can you Talk to us a little bit about some of the things that you guys have done and maybe some examples or things that you've done to create results or improve outcomes as it relates to this. I mean, sure. As you know, kind of as it relates to empathy, you know, so a lot of that isn't, I wouldn't say that's, that's innovation, that's education. That's things like, how do we get our patients to be able to speak with our staff in a non-clinical environment? Mm -hmm. It's having 
know, patient-centered forums and, and bringing in patients to talk about their experience, to talk about kind of their patient journey so that our staff can understand holistically what's going on when a patient, either say a newly diagnosed patient with cancer or maybe someone who's you know, recently pregnant, we want to know kind of what is, what's going on and what's your journey and what's your experience like so that we can help reshape what we do and retool what we do to help kind of meet your expectations and exceed your expectations, as well as provide the best clinical care and services that we can offer you. So when we think about things that we've actually done, so you know, we're really focused on you know, key, key patient populations, ones that are, have very complicated patient journeys, not your come in, break, fix types of things. So it could yes. be things like your maternity or you know, obstetrics types of patients, oncology, pediatrics, things that are high, super high stress and super ambiguity in kind of what's going on. So we're putting in technology, we're putting in processes, we're putting in kind of people to help support patients in these, in these care journeys and these kind of these pathways that they go through. So that could be, you know, from outside of technology innovation or process innovation, that's care managers and nurse navigators and kind of people helping you navigate all the different paths that you have to go through to come and see our physicians or see our care team. We're also technology enabling a lot of those care services. So you can think of patient journeys in obstetrics and prenatal planning. A lot of it is how do we ensure that we're providing digital access as well as physical access to our care teams so that when our patients need to access our services or have questions or have general anxiety about what's going on, they can reach us on phone, text message, email, chat, video-based, so providing multiple points of digital access. So anyone who has a question or concern about their condition, their parents or themselves have a way to reach out to us. Yeah, these are these are definitely important, right? You want to make sure that you feel like you're not on an island as a patient. And it sounds like you guys have been very mindful about how to give patients more than just one way of of getting in touch digitally and physically. In your journey, Matthew, have you had any particular setbacks that you've learned, like key learnings from that you want to share with us? You know, I would say key learnings is the upfront education, the upfront diligence, the, the communication with your end users and stakeholders, and whether that's, you know, having focus groups with patients or having uh, focus groups and kind of workflow sessions with your clinical staff or operational staff. It's thinking and being very mindful of what solutions you want to deliver as it really impacts and aligns with, well, what is currently done now and how should we redesign that workflow of the future or that engagement of the future? And if we don't have that buy-in, if we don't have that strong operational engagement from whomever that end user is, you know, it could be your patients or it could be our clinical staff or frontline staff or back office staff. Having that buy-in upfront as early as possible is the only way mm-hmm. that, you know, be successful. And we've had some you know, projects and initiatives and, and pilots that you know, haven't been successful. And it's not because of the technology. It's not because of the idea. Is because there hasn't, where there wasn't clear expectations in the beginning, there wasn't clear operational buy-in. You know, we might give a tool to a patient, but if they don't know why, or they don't see why it aligns with what they need, then it's going to sit on a shelf. And I think that's similar, you know, regardless of industry. Our job is to provide the best way that we can help deliver our services in our our physicians and our staff to our end users and our patients. That we don't be very mindful, be very empathetic, and have those discussions with the entire value chain of people, then things aren't going to work 
And then, you know, we're going to say, well, the technology didn't work or you know, we didn't hit our end goals and our objectives. But really, it goes back to the beginning, engagement, communication, buy-in, acceptance of change. Yeah, Matthew, what a what a great lesson that you shared with us there. And listeners, you know, it's a great point, right? You can't throw technology on top of a broken process or misaligned interests or lack of buy-in. You got to achieve all those first, and that takes time. And, and I think a lot of us want to hit the easy button and just throw some technology on top of things, and it doesn't work that way. And this message is a really poignant message for not only providers, but also technology companies, med device companies, life scientist companies. You can't just throw your solution on top of a broken process. You got to work on that, get the buy-in first. Uh, what a phenomenal lesson to share, Matthew. Really appreciate that. So what would you say one of your proudest medical leadership experiences has been to date? Well, it's, it's really, I think, getting our organization thinking about change and thinking about what's possible and mm-hmm. thinking about how do we collaborate and how do we make sure that when we're looking at change or we're looking at putting in systems or technologies that we're thinking about it holistically, kind of enterprise-wide or organization-wide and not just individual hospital or individual service line or individual practice. Because you can think about you know where the majority of health systems were maybe 10 years ago, smaller, fewer hospitals, many more private practices, kind of individual decision-making and lack of coordination. And so where we are kind of in our maturity of clinical coordination, we manage, you know, 10 um, acute hospitals with more than 300 physical locations in our area. And our patients, you know, are you know, very tightly within our uh, scope of, of clinical care. So by our very nature, there has to be significant collaboration and coordination between all of our locations, family medicine, especially allied health. And so having our clinical leadership as well as administrative leadership thinking about scale and how do we take a piece of technology or service or, or product and have that scale to multiple patients, multiple service lines. And really, you know, one of the, our big wins, I would say, is, you know, recently we were putting in uh, secure communication capabilities within our clinical staff. Mm-hmm. Really, that ends up just meaning secure text messaging. And you can think about, you know, this is a market mature capability and this is, you know, things that have been around for many years, but what we haven't done is really think about how do we look at communication and clinical communication as a network or as an enterprise type of function. You can think about where we were in many health systems where they are now of having individual points of communication, uh, routing messages to operators, using pagers, being on hold for hours in the day, trying to track down providers and your kind of your care team. What we did is say, hey, you know, let's do a small pilot of 2,500 people, you know, based off of our size and say, we're going to put in this piece of technology and we're going to get people thinking about what's even possible. And so kind of going back to innovation and adoption, sometimes it's, it's very difficult to understand the value of a piece of technology or, or innovation until you start playing with it, until you start using it and the boots on the ground, then you can stick start getting people to say, hey, this is really important, but if we tweak it this way, then it's even much more important or 10 times as valuable. So what we typically do with our, with our pilots or with our kind of, we call it phase one deployments or phase one launches, it's to get a very you know, core group of individuals checking out a piece of technology and saying, here's why it would benefit our organization. 
and then they're going to be the champions. They're going to be the stakeholders, and they're going to be the ones buying it and selling it to their peers across the organization. So from a communications perspective, we realized that this was a significant opportunity within our organization to improve all of communications, things like consults, uh, critical page alerts like rapid responses and codes, MI alerts and stroke alerts. Mm-hmm. And the way that our clinical staff is, uh, functions is that we have our physicians cover all of our facilities. So you can think of a much larger system or even a smaller system where physicians are only deployed at one hospital. The nature of our area is that our physicians cover all of our hospitals and all of our services. So we need to be very tight and very nuanced in how we do communication, especially when we do things like codes or alerts. Right. And so we are completely redesigning with support of our entire clinical leadership staff and operational staff and say, if we could redesign this in the future, let's forget everything that we do now. What would it look like? And it takes that level of buy-in. Innovation kind of help perturb the pot and kind of say, here's what's possible. It ends up going back to operations and say, this is a great idea. This is how we need to run with it. That's interesting. So in your vision, Matthew, what does it look like 10 years from now if you guys could build it? That's a million dollar question. You know, <laughs> if things are changing so quickly. So, you know, you can think 10 years from now in terms of value-based care or provider-based contracting, things like that, that, you know, the economics of healthcare is incredibly going to be different. I think the way that we engage as a provider network, engage mm-hmm. with our patients outside of the four walls of our facilities is going to be drastically different. Now, there's a lot of adoption of telemedicine types of capabilities within health systems. And in my view, that's kind of table stakes at this point. So that's like telestroke, teleconsults, telebehavioral health. And just the way that we think about deploying that, it helps us scale our physicians to hit a much broader patient population. And especially if you're thinking of things like stroke or MI alert, you know, we need to have that diagnosis instantaneously. And maybe our patient's an hour away or two hours away from a, from a physician. But we right. need to make sure that we're delivering that care. So I think the way that the technology is becoming more mature, that helps us scale our impact and our reach to treat and manage patients wherever they are, either within our facilities or outside. And I think kind of lastly, there's a lot of technologies and a lot of things that we're considering to improve just basic operations. So how do we streamline care delivery? How do we streamline documentation? How do we make sure that the encounter with your physician, you know, it's not a 10-minute encounter where it's nine and a half minutes of them typing on a piece of paper or typing yeah, in, in the keyboard. That's a great point. We want to put that human touch and that kind of connection back into the visit. And so what can we do from a technology perspective to streamline that, to do as much of the behind the scenes as possible, to let our physicians be physicians and let our clinical staff do what they're trained to do and what they want to do. Yeah, beautifully said, Matthew. You're asking all the tough questions and tackling some really pertinent issues. I'm excited to even continue the discussion outside of this podcast with you. And because there's no doubt in my mind that you're thinking about these very difficult issues. Tell us a little bit about an exciting project or focus that you were working on today. Yeah, I mean, I think I'll go back to the communications one because it's such a valuable project. And really, you can think about this is not just communications. It ends up also looking at, you know, if you're a physician, imagine a scenario where you're the ED, you know, trauma doc. Okay. And you need to find the on-call or the, you need to do a consult with orthopedics and a consult with cardiology and a consult with you know, behavioral health. 
that might, whatever yes. that might be. Okay. What we currently do and what most systems do is, you know, they call the operator, they find who's on call, and they might track down people. But what we're doing is saying, can we blow up the entire thing and make communication completely self-service for our staff? And so that ends up being, how do we blow up our operator call center? How do we make all of our on-call schedules easy to view? Like a dashboard get, of who's available. Like a dashboard. Yeah. And so what we do now That's is cool. that we have a dashboard also linked within our uh, text messaging system. So right now you can text the hospitalist who's covering you know, the fifth floor in our main hospital. You don't need to know who they are. All you need to know as a, as a physician, I need to reach the hospitalist covering you know, a patient on, on the fifth floor. And so what we've done is redesigned the workflow to allow our clinical staff and, and support staff to be able to outreach and communicate directly with those types of clinical roles. So that's that, things, awesome. that's, that includes things like our patient transport center our care management, our behavioral health, toxicology. So if you need to rapidly communicate with the one toxicologist who we have working within the organization, it doesn't matter where they are. You can send a text message to toxicology on call and they get that message instantaneously, wherever they might be. Amazing. So that allows us to completely redesign how we do things like consults and patient transfers and transition of care between, say, our hospitals and a skilled nursing facility. It allows us to shrink that time that it takes to make that clinical decision to seconds or minutes versus hours. So if we don't think about this as an enterprise function or holistically, what are all the nuances of communication? And you just put in a texting system, you're only going to scratch the surface. So it ends up being you need to get significant operational engagement from all of these different functional areas, from, from different clinical areas to say, hey, we need to be managing this and look at this big picture. And you know, I think that that's something I would always push back to your listeners and to any of the innovations that we want to put in, into place is that how do we get this capability to scale enterprise-wide and what will it take operationally, technically, as well as boost on the ground and who's going to own it and how is it going to be governed? Because what we want to do is make sure that we have significant impact with the technologies or process that we put in place, not just it's a good press release or it's an interesting technology, but there's no adoption, there's no long-term value. So we always want to push back and say, operationally, who's going to own this and how are we going to maximize the value of some of these technologies that we put in place? And without that buy-in, that operational engagement, stakeholder management, things are going to sit on a shelf or they're not going to be used to their fullest potential. It happens so much. Things sit on the shelf so often that the words of wisdom that you're sharing with us today, Matthew, are, are just hitting home with me, as I'm sure it's hitting home with a lot of the listeners. Listeners, don't worry. We're at the end of the podcast here, Matthew will share the best way to get in touch with him. If something that he said resonated with you, maybe you want to collaborate with him. We'll give you a best way to, to get in touch with or follow him at the end here because we are getting close to finishing up today. always wish I had extra time, but these 30-minute slots are are sort of that sweet spot and listener uh, <laughs> time frame with commutes and all that. They do go by quickly. They do, man. I mean, it's amazing. So let's pretend you and I are building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in medicine, operations, the 101 of Matthew Fenty. We're going to write a syllabus. I've got four questions for you, lightning round style, followed by your favorite book sure. that you recommend to the listeners. You ready? Sure. Awesome. Sounds good. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Connection. Connection with your patients, connection with your peers, connections with patients' families, because it's a, it's a team effort. 
And if you don't fully engage your clinical team and your patients, you know, family and personal support team, then things aren't going to work well. It could be things like, did the patients get to the appointment on time? And so maybe it's, you know, it's their children or their parents who are helping them doing that. So having that connection with everyone who's part of the patient's care team needs to be a part of it. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? I guess the opposite, going rogue. Um, <laughs> but, it, but really, it's thinking that the patient knows what's going on. So, you know, in, personally, you know, I've been to the hospital before. You get discharged in the emergency room. When I've been to the emergency room, and you walk out the door and say, what did the doctor want me to do? What was yeah. my next kind of follow-up, my next step? What do I need in terms of like medications? Mm-hmm. And going back to what I said earlier, this is a high emotion, high stress type of environment that we put patients in. Yes. And so thinking that the patient is a, a type A person who is completely literate, you know, medically literate, who is only focused on what is my next step, that's a big pitfall. So you have to be very empathetic of the, what's going on in the patient's head. You know, maybe they don't understand. Maybe they don't speak English well. Maybe there's other things going on behind the scenes. So not being able to sit in the shoes of your patient is, you know, I think going to be a major downfall. Great point. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? Ooh, it's relevancy is, I think, a couple different areas. It's, you know, you have your clinical relevance and you're adopting evidence-based practice in medicine. And I think, you know, that's something that's table stakes for all health systems to have to do. But I think from a, from a technology side and innovation side, you know, that's kind of in the bread and butter within our organization. We're a stage seven organization, most wired. So from an organizational readiness perspective, you know, technology and how do we leverage technology is really in the minds and culture of everyone within our IT organization. So relevance, you know, that's going to conferences, that's listening to podcasts like yours, that's seeing what other organizations are doing and being able to think about how do we adopt that here? And it could be something from another sector, could be from you know, consumer, CPG, from, from, from insurance, from you know, hospitality, and say, you know, that's a really interesting way of doing business, and that's a really interesting capability. How do we get that type of thinking internally? And so I think that relevance and that, that always push for learning is relevant, whether you're a provider or even if you're on the IT side. Interesting. Uh, That's a very interesting point. What would you say is one area of focus that drives everything else in your organization? Well, from an organization perspective, I think quality, quality and access. So we very much focus on three, three pillars within our organization, quality, access, and cost. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about either technologies or clinical processes, there's a big laser sharp focus on how this is impacting or improving our patient access to our system. How is it improving clinical quality outcomes, long-term outcomes and short-term outcomes? How are we looking at value-based care and value-based contracting? As well as how do we ensure that we are providing at at the appropriate cost? And how are we ensuring that we're managing those costs? Because we do realize, I think as an industry, that healthcare costs are going up and it is in our interest to ensure that we're providing a service that our patients and our customers continue to use and afford. So it ends up being cost and price transparency, as well as quality and clinical goals, as well as access to our services. Is always everything that we do, either from a process or a technology or innovation, always aligns to one of those three goals. Outstanding. What book would you recommend to the listeners? That's a hard question. 
You know, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of things I read that actually aren't books. You know, a lot of like blogs from physicians, or Eric Topol's blogs, a lot of blogs from the venture space who nice. have interesting perspectives on healthcare. So, you know, I would say always from an education and learning, read those types of blogs. I can share with you specifically the ones I, I check out weekly or monthly, but some really interesting books. I really like the Google Ventures Design Sprint book because a lot of it, what that does is get people to think about problems and opportunities and how do you articulate what you're trying to tackle and not trying to identify a solution. So a lot of what we do internally is exercises and discussions to really identify a need and a value of a business process to be changed versus what's the value of a new tool or a new piece of technology. So that book really helps us kind of get that frame thinking. And then I I think on the other side, I really like The Martian. That's a fantastic book. It's really funny. I think it's a lot funnier than the movie with, uh, with Matt Damon in it. So anyone who has, you know, a couple hours to, to kill, you can blast the Martian pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. Matthew, great recommendations. Listeners, you don't have to write any of that down. You could find our entire show notes, the transcript to today's interview, as well as all of the Q&A and links to the resources that Matthew just shared with us. Just go to outcomesrocket.health slash Fenty, F-E-N-T-Y. It's Matthew's last name. You're going to find all that there. So this has been so much fun, Matthew. So glad that you made time to do this. If you can, just share a closing thought with the listeners and then the best place where we can get in touch with you. Yeah, of course. I appreciate the time on, on your show. And I would say, you know, always, regardless of where you are within healthcare, either you know, pharma, you know, provider, research, think about we're in this for, for us and our parents. And, you know, think about how does what you're doing you know, going to improve the experience for your parents or for your children? And so, yes. you know, putting empathy and putting a personal experience and personal touch in, in research or drug discovery or surgery or behavioral health or care management. At the end of the day, we are treating our family and our friends and our neighbors and our community. And healthcare is just such a local type of industry that we're going to see people that, you know, work, that come and use our services on a daily basis. So we want to make sure that we always put that human touch and that human type of focus back into what we do and that every decision should be based off how is this improving our community and how is this improving kind of our neighbors. Great message, Matthew. And what would you say the best place for the listeners to follow you or reach out to you is? Email me directly. I'm, I'm pretty accessible. <laughs> I don't tweet a lot. I follow a lot of people who tweet a lot, but my social media, it's, I would say, you know, LinkedIn or email or just a phone call would be always the best way to reach out to me. Beautiful. Well, this has been a ton of fun, Matthew. Really appreciate the words of wisdom you've shared with us, the tips on operations, the tips on, on just putting empathy first, and some of the examples that you guys are doing there at St. Luke's. Uh, really inspiring. So keep doing what you're doing, man. This has been a, a really fun episode, and, and we're looking forward to staying in touch with you. Of course. Glad to help. Thanks for tuning in to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast. If you want the show notes, inspiration, transcripts, and everything that we talked about on this episode, just go to outcomesrocket.health. And again, don't forget to check out the amazing Healthcare Thinkathon, where you can get together to form the blueprint for the future of healthcare. You can find more information on that and how to get involved in our theme, which is 
implementation is innovation. Just go to outcomesrocket.health slash conference. That's outcomesrocket.health slash conference. Be one of the 200 that will participate. Looking forward to seeing you there.